The Near Futurist, a podcast with Guy Clapperton. Hello and thanks for downloading The Near Futurist, a show presented by me, Guy Clapperton. In this episode, we're going to look at something that feels futuristic, but it's been around for a while. But first, a little bit about who you're listening to. And I admit, if you've heard the show before, this might start to sound a little familiar. I'm Guy Clapperton, a technology journalist with 30 years experience. You might have heard me or seen me on the BBC occasionally, read some of my books or seen me in The Guardian, Intelligence Sourcing Magazine and elsewhere. I go to a lot of conferences and hear experts talking about their forecasts about the decades to come. I'd rather use my 30 years experience as a commentator to discuss what's likely to happen later this year, early next, and the action we can take now. So I came up with the near futurist name. Do please have a look at my website at nearfuturist.co.uk where you'll find more episodes and information on what we're about. If you'd like to book me as a speaker or MC for your technology event, do have a look and drop me a line, guy at nearfuturist.co.uk, that's nearfuturist as one word, or get in touch with my agent, whose details are of course on the site. If you like what you're hearing on this podcast, please do consider leaving a review on the iTunes store or wherever you download from. It's how you make a show like this grow and grow it is. And that is more than enough about me. My guest today is the CEO of Imagination Park, a publicly traded Canadian company that's created a platform that lets businesses of any size create augmented reality campaigns. And we'll come to what that is in a second. It's been particularly successful in sporting events. The real world and digital worlds are colliding. And to explain more, as Alan Paul Silverstein. Alan, welcome. Absolutely. Thank you very much. And I appreciate you having me on the show, Guy. I've listened to it previously and it's excellent. And I'm very excited to be on today. Thank you, the checks in the post. The introduction sounded fascinating, and we will get to Imagination Park very shortly. But I understand your business journey started with a load of Muhammad Ali memorabilia. Please tell me more. Yeah, that was a quite a strange moment a couple of decades ago. And it started with one of my previous careers back when sports cards and sports memorabilia were very popular over here in the United States. The baseball card industry took off and a lot of people were buying and selling them and the market just went crazy. And towards the end of that cycle, somebody actually called me up and said, oh, you're in sports. I've got something with memorabilia with Muhammad Ali you might be interested in. At that point, the business winding down. I'd be interested in anything that's going to pay my mortgage and put food on the table. So I was told to meet them down in New York City in an area where Malcolm X was shot. And if you're from New York on this side, you understand that's a place you normally don't go ever at that point of time, and certainly not with cash in your pocket. But due to desperation with the mortgage due and bills and a young family, I had no choice, but I had to go down there and give it a shot. So I uh, went into New York City. I met what they call a local pharmaceutical dealer, which you can kind of figure that out pretty Mm -hmm. quick. And I met him on a corner and began to walk with him. And slowly but surely, his posse, as they might call them, which is about five guys, all the size of possibly a American football defensive line team, all much bigger than me, were walking with me, kind of cordially bringing me to the person with the memorabilia. We ended up going to, at that time, was a four-story walk-up, which was in extraordinarily horrible shape. It had graffiti. It was all destroyed and really not something anyone should be walking into. But at this point, I felt I went that far. Why not go up the stairs to see what happens? We walked up the four-story walk-up, filled with garbage, rubbish everywhere, got to a big steel door with graffiti on it, and one of them banged on the door in front of me. And when the door opened, they all kind of rushed in with me in the middle. So I had no choice but to just lift my feet up and they can carry me in. We ended up in a very dark room. And in this dark room, there was curtains, there was even like cans of of food sitting on the counter. It's just a a horrible mess, but an elderly gentleman sitting in the corner. So the people who brought me in, my posse, as we call it, 
brought me in. Uh, they took a seat and they put it right in front of the old gentleman and said, here, sit in front of an old man. You want to talk to him. So we were literally sitting knee to knee. Man was probably in his 70s. His glasses were broken. They had tape on it. They were tilted on his head. And he just started talking about times when he used to be an entertainer in the Apollo Theater back in the early days and all he did and all his experiences. And after about 10 minutes, I thought maybe this was a setup. And at some point, as I looked to the right and left over my shoulder, someone's going to hit me over my head or something to take the cash. And then I slowly got up and then my hands got on my shoulder and pushed me back down in the chair. And someone yelled, old man, tell him what you got and show it to him now. So the old guy got up. He moved his chair away slowly. It felt like 20 minutes at the speed he was going. And he opened up the closet door that was right behind him. And he brought out this big, dark, green garbage bag. And he dropped it on the floor right in front of me. And when I opened up the garbage bag, the first thing I pulled out was, and I being a big boxing fan early in my early days, pulled out was the Muhammad Ali robe he wore as a gift from the government at that fight for the jungle fight against George Foreman, the rumble in the jungle. Oh, yes. I must admit, from the tone you were taking, I was half expecting you to say that in that plastic bag, there was Muhammad Ali. There he was. It's a happier happier story, slightly. (laughs) Yeah, he said, thank you for finding me. I've been stuck in here for the last 20 years. Absolutely, yeah. You had the robe, yeah. So I pulled out the robe, and I knew right then exactly that that robe was the real one. It was very specific in terms of looks. People can look on the web and look for that robe. It has gray and white, black on it, very handmade. And then additionally in the bag was a second robe, which later I found out was the Quarry 2 Muhammad Ali robe, and also a pair of shoes. So needless to say, that was something I needed to have. So I ended up negotiating, had to run back down to the ATM and clean out my entire cash account and ended up giving him everything I had in my possession that was cash and green and allowed me to walk out with that garbage bag at that point. So having that garbage bag was great, but at the same time I had a mortgage due and, and, and bills due. So I had to find out how to sell it. So in New York, this Grand Central Station, they had the big magazine store called Hudson News. So I went through all the magazines in the back. And since I was out of money, I just ripped out the back pages of all the magazines looking for dealers who did boxing memorabilia, anything to do with boxing and started dialing the phone, as I call it, dialing for dollars, who I could sell it to. And then as I called, I left messages to many different messages, editors to different magazines, day one, nothing, day two, nothing, day three, nothing. And on the fifth day, uh, it was a late Friday evening. The phone rang and a gentleman picked up and said, is this Alan Paul Silverstein? I said, yes. He said, this is Shelly Finkel. He said, do you know who I am? I said, I've heard the name, but I have absolutely no idea. And he said, I heard you found Muhammad Ali in a garbage bag. No. What he said is, I heard that you have some robes. So we discussed it. We met. And ultimately, I sold all the robes to Shelly Finkel. Shelly Finkel's in the Boxing Hall of Fame. He's very famous. He was the the manager to Evander Holyfield, the heavyweight champion of the world at that time. Pernell Whitaker, uh, Meldrick Taylor, a number of other boxers, and also the largest rock promoter as well in the Northeast. So ultimately, that provided the financing to start that business at that point, which was prepaid phone cards, which were very well known overseas where you are. But at that point, those were chips in cards that you would insert into phones. In the U.S., the public phones were not available to do chips in cards. So we started the industry, and there's probably half a dozen of us who really started the phone card industry in the U.S., with using plastic cards with an 800 number and a pin. So that company started off the Muhammad Ali robe. 
Eventually, I called Shelly back as the company started to grow, and he came in and financed the whole business. He joined us. We ended up being the largest licensed phone card company in the United States. We work with Marvel, National Hockey League, Major League Baseball, Led Zeppelin, Jimmy Hendrix Estate, and actually took it to NASDAQ within 36 months from when it started. So quite the story, all tied back to Muhammad Ali. Shelly did bring that road to Muhammad Ali later, I understood. And there's actually a little folklore about that robe that in the left sleeve, there was a postcard that was actually sewn into it. And it was a prediction by the people who presented the robe to Ali. They had someone locally, I guess, who had psychic or clairvoyant capabilities. So he actually had the robe left sleeve opened by someone very carefully, obviously. And in the postcard was the actual round number that Ali was going to win the fight would actually match the exact fight. Wow. It's a pretty cool story. and It's, uh, pretty it's a pretty cool story. But to, to anybody who is thinking they're going to get a harmless little story about the childhood Muhammad Ali memory memorabilia collection, um, counseling is available, I'm sure. You know, trauma counseling. <laughs> Just give me a call. That is a terrific story. Uh, I do want to move on to the present quite quickly, but I noticed that your bio says your story also involves involvement in uh, some Hollywood films. I, I understand this is not terribly important uh, to you in the scheme of things, but could you tell us a little bit about that? I lived in India, actually, for four years, which quite is experience in it itself. And there I was running a recruitment software solution company that provided artificial intelligence for sourcing candidates, but also ran into a gentleman who ran a studio in India that didn't have many clients, but had a lot of studio artists that were available to do work on movies. So I spoke to him and ended up working with him for over five years. And actually, we did over 50 to 60 movies out of Hollywood doing what's called the 2D to 3D conversion. In the, in the industry, they say painting the left eye. Mm-hmm. So you actually convert it. So when people use glasses and go into the movies, they'd actually see the 3D movies. So we worked on Jurassic. We worked on Pirates of the Caribbean. We worked on Spider-Man. Worked on probably over 50, 60 major blockbusters through the years. And that was really fun from the perspective of seeing that work done ultimately. But that is, again, that's kind of backroom kind of work. And that led me to ultimately meeting one of the founder, original founders of Imagination Park, Gabriel Napora, who brought me into Imagination Park, ultimately to be the president CEO from the movie industry basis. And that's how Imagination Park started in the content movie business. And ultimately, we shifted over into augmented reality. Excellent. Well, that uh, gives us a great cue to start on talking about the present and Imagination Park. First, I'd like to get to the basics, just in case any uh, listeners are a little bewildered by the fact that you've got augmented reality, you've got virtual reality, you've got this, you've got that. What exactly are we talking about when we talk about augmented reality, please? That's a good question. And in a lot of my meetings and demonstrations today, that is the number one question. Over 95% of people don't understand what is augmented reality. And I think the basis to start is Everyone got familiar with virtual reality. Virtual reality is the ability to put on over your head headgear where you look through the eyewear that has the phone put in front of it or, for example, opaque kind of viewing point that you can look 360 degrees in any direction. You're fully immersed in it. So people are familiar. You sit in a chair, wherever you look, left, right, up, down. You're fully immersed, really effective in the gaming industry and the entertainment but it doesn't lead you into the social world, the ability to walk around and communicate. It's a very soul individual kind of experience. And after five to 10 minutes, a lot of people take off the headset because they start to get dizzy or nauseous and it's not that pleasant. Augmented reality is the next level. Augmented reality is the ability to use a mobile phone to point at something. And that again could be 
tied to certain locations or certain visual images, which I'll explain later, and it overlays digital information on your phone. Again, you have to have an app on the phone that allows you to do the AR, but I can walk around, I can see what's going on in the world and see the digital information that's overlaid with it. Everyone is quite familiar when Pokemon Go made its mark back in 2016, and I believe hundreds of millions of people around the world, over 150 countries, use Pokemon Go. Everyone's chasing these little creatures, these cartoon characters on the phone, catching them off a map. Yep. And that really was the keystone event of augmented reality. That's the first proof that AR on a mobile phone is something not only effective, that really got virility, people got excited about. I think it generated over $600 million plus in the first 90 to 120 days for the company and really demonstrated AR is here to stay. But AR has grown enormously since then. AR is the ability to use the mobile phone to, for example, have videos play when I look at certain images or logos, or I point to a jumbotron sign and I can have a game come up, or I could point to a building, I could point to a book cover, and where it comes to live. AR is a new digital communication channel. It's similar to what websites were 20 years ago. 20 years ago, guy, you remember, everyone wondered, what did you need a website for? Yeah, well, closer to 30 years by now. It's a mid-90s. <laughs> Sorry, that's probably not a very tactful thing to say, but I was reflecting well, on this only a little while ago. It's quite some time ago now. And people used to spend tens of thousands of dollars plus to get a website, and everyone wondered what you needed. Now you can't be in business without a website. AR, augmented reality, is going to be the same. Even Tim Cook was recently quoted as the CEO of Apple that AR is going to be part of everyday life. It is the next level digital communications channel. Is the ability to overlay digital information, communication, any kind of visual interaction on a phone with the individual, and I have the ability to personalize it and capture that data of those engagements. That makes sense. And, and as you say, it has been around for a little while. I covered my first AR story, I suppose, 10 years ago. It was a little app that sat on your phone, exactly as you say, and it would overlay pictures of where there were Wi-Fi hotspots. They're all over the place now, of course. They weren't at the time. But it would overlay pictures of where there were Wi-Fi hotspots onto your surroundings, no doubt chewing up your 3G or 2G or whatever it was, data uh, as it went, using the camera and the screen. And since then, we've had as you mentioned, Pokemon Go, adding creatures to the environment around you using your phone. That seemed mind-blowing at the time. So what's mind-blowing now, and how do we know these things aren't actually just sort of gimmicks and uh, temporary things? Because I haven't seen an awful lot of mainstream action since Pokemon Go. That's a very good point. And AR is still in the, in the Nisian industry. It's still beginning. Goldman Sachs, the investment firm, predicted AR is going to hit about $150 billion, with a B, U.S. dollars within the next five years. It will be mainstream. You're starting at the mobile level and people walking around the phone and using it for promotions and sponsorships. For example, I go to a sporting event and we can create a similar Pokemon Go scavenger hunt. They're called AR Stories around the arena where the people can go around and find e-digital collectible cards of all the players. They can win discounts from sponsors, coupons, play videos, all overlaid by pointing the phone at something called an activation. And when I activate it, it allows me again to capture the information of that individual and maintain and build that fan engagement relationship. As the industry is growing quickly here, and we're seeing a tremendous interest by major Fortune 500 as well as advertising agency consumer products, they want to leverage the mobile phone since everybody lives with it, they sleep with it, it's in their hands, and engage people in a new way. Promote their brands, build that relationship, build that interaction. And that's what AR does. And it allows you to have that fun gamification ability, the ability to interact with someone, have something fun, capture it, people can win stuff, and then take that relationship further 
as it continues to grow. Where AR is going ultimately is to a wearable lens. Right now it's starting on mobile phone because everyone has one, yet as you mentioned, it's still new to everyone. It's something that people are playing with, gimmicky kind of one-offs, but it's starting to build and that's how industries build. In 2020, you'll see Microsoft HoloLens new version be coming out. You're gonna see Apple come out with their lens version, which they pre-announced. So it'll go from the phone to the lenses. And once you start going to the lenses, the ability to walk around and look through lenses, which will be driven off of Bluetooth off a phone, you'll be able to walk around, for example, through downtown London and see advertisements as you look at buildings, look at billboards, get close to signs, and they'll start being personalized. Ultimately, we're going to the Minority Report movie like Tom Cruise, where there'll be communication directly to you on your lenses, and that's where it's going to get the next generation, and that on is the, the future of AR. On the other hand, didn't Google Glass just roll over and die? Uh, was that at the wrong time? Uh, you know, wh Why do we think the lenses thing is going to take off? That's a very good point. So Google Lens came out at an early time before even AR stake had taken off. It's extraordinarily expensive. It allows you to browse your environment in the internet, but it did not provide an engagement. And not everyone's walking around spending thousands of dollars of Google Lens. So you had the adoption issue of a high cost. You had minimal interaction with it. I can go on my mobile phone and do my scanning as well. So it didn't provide me that engagement, that detail interaction. If you look at where we think AR is going and the future, there's actually a movie that I found quite interesting, Memories of Alhambra. It's on Netflix this month. It's a South Korean movie about a gaming environment and AR. And in that case, people were playing the game using a lens, a contact lens in their eye. And although it's futuristic, that is where we're going. So Google Lens, it was an exciting beginning, but we have to go to the next level where it's engaging, it's interactive, it's personalized, and the ability to communicate. Google Glass was purely more of a visual looking at the internet, doing searches, and it's something you could do on your phone already, so why would I spend thousands of dollars to purchase that item? I suppose you also get a number of companies who do this sort of proof of concept stuff. They may not think they're doing proof of concept at the time, but Apple did not develop the first smartphone and neither did BlackBerry. There was an awful lot out there from Nokia, uh, and you know, I actually stood on a street corner waiting for that map to load, it was awful. And uh, you know, there were music phones and there were camera phones way before they went really mainstream. So perhaps Google's fallen into the trap of demonstrating that something could be done, and then later somebody else actually makes it desirable. Right, but Google is still there. I mean, Google, Snapchat, Apple, Microsoft, they're spending hundreds of millions of dollars per year for AR and bringing AR to mixed reality. Mixed reality is the ability to not only see the overlay of digital information, but to interact with it. For example, I have a manufacturing plant that's up and running and they wanna do training of all their new employees. Well, what if I put a, utilize a phone or even a headset and I look at this new machine and I can see a digital overlay map of exactly graphically how it works how to repair it, and start learning about it and seeing videos, everything right off of my glasses or right off my phone. That's where we're going, the ability to interact. Ultimately, the web started as the first level, then we went to social media. The next one is where we're going now, which is the ability of the world with AI and AR together, providing augmented reality engagement throughout your entire environment. It's a way to communicate with your world and to get information and to interact with it, and that's where we're going. Some people call it spatial computing, the ability to set up objects, graphics, and information throughout your environment, so as you walk around, you're engaged. 
There's an amazing article that just came out last week, Guy. It's in Wired Magazine. It was written by Kevin Kelly, the one of their founding executive editors. It's something readers should look at. They want to see the future of AR. It's called AR Will Spark the Next Big Tech Platform. Call it Mirror World. Amazing in-depth article about AR and where they perceive it going. They use Mirror World, which is originally quoted by David Galenter, who's a very brilliant uh, professor out of Yale, who said where we're going in terms of the ability to overlay and look at the world through computers. But at that point, when he looked at Mirror World, it was saying that everything is going to exist in the digital world that's going to match what we have in the physical world. But what's going to happen now is the next level. We're going to interact with it. We're going to engage with it. You'll be able to have an AI chatbot, the ability to communicate with a graphic that exists in the digital world. We have in our platform the ability that, for example, in a sports arena, I can have a mascot as a concierge. So when I walk to the sports arena, I could say, hey, where should I get a burger? And that mascot through the phone as an engagement AI will actually answer the question. That's where we're going. And that's where this is going to be an amazing interaction, amazing future, and where people are going to have AR, mixed reality, and AI as part of their daily life. It all sounds very futuristic and complex, but one thing that strikes me is, first of all, an awful lot of it is here now, or it's, uh, it can be done now. And something about your technology platform in particular that caught my eye was the idea that people don't need a programmer to make this sort of stuff work. It, it sounds terribly complex, and yet you say you don't need a programmer. Can, can you talk me through the process? Absolutely. We started investing a significant amount of our money years ago in developing a platform that allows anybody to create an AR campaign. Right now, when you see augmented reality campaigns done by companies and businesses, they go to programmers, they spend tens of thousands of pounds, even more potentially. See, Guy, I applied it to the uh, UK audience on that one. Absolutely. They get a bespoke app. They get one single app that does one kind of event. If they want to change it, they got to go back to them and reprogram we built a platform that allows anyone without a programmer to take their content, load it up into the cloud, and then set up their own AR engagement anywhere they want, whether it's looking at logos, looking at storefronts, looking at buildings, in museums, at products, at brands, anywhere. And the content could automatically be changed hourly, daily, weekly, monthly, whenever they want, without a programmer as well. We believe that is the starting point of where AR should start exploding and allowing anyone to enjoy the benefit from a business standpoint, because ultimately their goal is to engage customers and drive revenue. And if you look here in the United States, Amazon has just decimated the entire retail industry. So you have all these stores paying huge amounts of rent and a lot of costs, and they're getting sales destroy. What is a way to do it? Well, let's make the stores exciting. Let's make it gamification. Let's allow people to go to those stores and run their own scavenger hunts, collect things, enter in sweepstakes, have some fun while they're there and create an entertainment, exciting, enthusiastic environment rather than just trying to discount as a commodity. That's not going to drive the relationships. And that's where AR can help the real estate world, the advertising world, the brands, to engage people, capture the information, and maintain and build that relationship. That's what's so exciting about this. I think that's important, isn't it? Because uh, when I talk to retailers and they talk about having to drive the price down to compete with the e-commerce people, eventually, if you've been driving it down for long enough, you get to a stage of not so much building a relationship as building something unsustainable. Uh, you know, it's uh, the old joke about uh, when Amazon first set up was that they were, they, they were going to lose a dollar on every book, but it's okay, they were going to sell a lot of books. Uh, of course, that didn't happen, but uh, it, it's actually making it sustainable rather than uh, making it you know, just low cost because you, you can only cut so far, can't you? 
Exactly. I mean, you get to the point where you're doing volume, but I'm not making a living. So what's the point of having it? And those physical stores are always going to exist. So let's change that engagement. Let's change it that the consumers have the ability to come in and not what they do now is they walk into a store, they may look at a brand, then they go on their phone, they check what is on e-commerce, and if they physically see it, they buy it online. That's not effective use for hmm. retail to exist. But if the retail can create that kind of game environment, that interaction where come in, there'll be certain sales that'll be in the AR that you'll be able to utilize your phone, point at, have games, collect things, enter sweepstakes, you're providing the next level environment. Yep. Ultimately, in the next couple of years, it'll go to glasses. So I'll walk in there and it'll be more of an entertainment kind of expectation rather than just walking in, looking at prices and purchasing. It's, there's always going to be room for e-commerce growth. It's always going to continue. But look at what IKEA also did very successfully. They built AR into their mobile app. So I can actually online look at the, through their phone, see how a piece of furniture would look in my room. That's an mm. effective use of AR. These are the types of things retailers need to look at to engage people. Because the next generation, that 18 to 40-year-old millennials, they live and they are always engaged with their phones. Let's leverage that to drive revenue and relationship. That makes sense. So how long do you think it's going to be before this becomes mainstream and less intimidating? You make it sound very easy, but I can imagine a lot of particularly smaller independent retailers who don't have the resources of IKEA are going to be listening, thinking, this sounds awful. Well, it's, it sounds awful because that's where retail is going, but we have provided a platform that allowed them to step up right now and engage AR, use it for their consumers, use it to engage potential opportunities, promote their stores. It's not expensive. We have made the cost of AR fraction of what it is compared to anyone else out there. And again, it goes back, as you say, 30 years, you know, look what websites cost then. And now you can go on sites like Wix, WordPress, and create literally a website within hours without any programming technical capability whatsoever. We provide that same platform for AR. The ability for anyone to go in, create that excitement, do something new, engage your consumers, and ultimately drive the relationship and revenue. And that's what's going. And then ultimately, down the road, as we say in the future, take artificial intelligence to take that data built into it and start fine-tuning these campaigns and using the analytics to understand how best to focus your programs and marketing opportunities. That will make a lot of sense, I'm sure. Do you think there's a risk for businesses who want to, a risk for businesses, I should say, who want to ignore this opportunity? Um, are they going to miss out on the new technology? Obviously, coming from the AR side, I think there's no reason nobody, you know, everyone should be part of it. But it's going to take a certain amount of understanding because you have to redirect your communications. People started using social media, right? And that just started, and everyone now puts ads, communication, and things are sold off of social media. Augmented reality is the next digital communication channel. You need to be aware it's coming. So you need to be on that path. You need to understand that it is right into the mobile space that they're already playing. You're doing social AR, so what's the difference of adding an augmented reality ability to it? And ultimately, AR is going to be social AR. So for example, I go visiting into London, and I go into uh, your park where you have all those guys who do those cool, uh, cool performances, with Treasure Square where those guys do those cool gymnastics and stuff, kind of standing up and they so have the all Covent the Garden, that sort of area? Yeah, so imagine I go there as a visitor and then I leave a little message by myself. I tape on the phone and I drop an AR tag there. My digital information, I could leave it there. The next person comes in, they're notified, hey, there's an AR tag here, pick up the phone, I look through the app and it's me giving a message what I did. It becomes a new communication method of digital tagging 
all in the aerospace overlaying the real world, which you don't see as you walk through the physical world, but immediately appears through the mobile app. That is what's going to be also the next level socially for people is leveraging AR individually and the ability to leave those kind of messages in tourist areas, stores, whatever, and people start communicating, leaving these AR messages for other people to enjoy and builds an AR community. And, and as you is- build a community. This is where I think it gets to be quite usable. And it's, it's when people stop thinking about it as AR, isn't it? It's like if I were in, say, Covent Garden or wherever else I might be in, in Times Square, for example, and I were to pick up my phone and think, what's everybody else said about this? I probably am not thinking, let's use the AR or let's use the AI. I'm looking at it thinking, let's look at, say, TripAdvisor or something. But the fact that it's context-sensitive TripAdvisor uh, or location-sensitive TripAdvisor and that it's live stuff that people have left here, it's just an evolution of what's already happening. And I'm not thinking. I will use the next technology. I'm thinking I'll get this information. You're exactly right. I mean, when you started with Amazon, what besides books went into the reviews? How many people still look to buy a product and look at the reviews, right? Hmm. Now take that concept and drop it into the world. I'm walking through certain locations. Boom, I look at the old mobile app. And remember, it's going to glasses where I'm walking around with glasses and it comes up on my screen. A guy left a note in Times Square, go eat at this restaurant. It had the most amazing food, blah, blah, blah. So people can personalize and customize those and have that interaction, the digital information in the physical world, engage through your mobile phone and eventually through lenses. That's where we're going. And like I said, I'm not going to be thinking about it. I'm looking for the information I want. That, you know, you had the eBay when it started, people's reviews of other buyers, Amazon reviews, Yelp is reviews. What are people looking for? Information, other people's opinions. Well, why can't I overlay in the digital world using my mobile phone and using augmented reality? AR is not just a cartoon character. AR could be content. It could be a green screen video of yourself. It could be YouTube video. It could be anything you want it to be. It's not limited to just a hologram. And I'm sure we could go on for quite some time, but in the interest of letting the listeners listen to the next podcast or whatever they want to do, we should probably wrap up. So where can listeners find out more about what you do and how can they get involved? Yeah, so our website is imaginationpark.com. We're a Canadian small microcap company. We're actually a publicly traded guy. So if people believe AR is the future, they also have the ability to invest into a tiny, small company that's built a platform that we feel is significantly undervalued and strategically prepared for the future of AR. You can con- keep up uh, to date us on our Twitter feed at, at IPTechAR, I-P-T-E-C-H-A-R. We also have a Facebook page for Imagination Park Technologies as well. And on our website, you can always contact us. So we put a lot of updates out as we get new clients and news. We post everything up there and we look forward to hopefully coming to Europe with our platform as well in the very near future and working with businesses to drive their revenue and their engagement as well. I'm Paul Silverstein from Imagination Park. Thank you very much for joining me. Absolutely, Guy. I appreciate it. Thank you for reaching out and look forward to building the world of AR and AI together. Thank you, Guy. And many thanks to you for listening. That was the Near Futurist podcast with me, Guy Clapperton. I'll be back in two weeks' time as always. Don't forget to have a look at the website at nearfuturist.co.uk. See you in a fortnight. Music